This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and also subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. In addition to that, you can also support the podcast on patreon.com at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer, or in, or, uh, and or, <laughs> Uh, help support us by leaving a, uh, a review, a rating review on iTunes for us. Um, this, please do. Please do. It helps a lot. And, uh, hopefully it's a positive rating review. This jumbled intro notwithstanding. <laughs> um, so as, as we said, uh, this is a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, but this week's topic is not a topic. It's what we call extended potpourri. Tiny, do you want to tell the listeners what what exactly potpourri means to us? Yeah, potpourri is a uh, it's a bowl of like different in the context of the podcast. Oh crap! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I think that's the first time I've made that joke. I think it is too, which is shocking. Yeah, two and a half years. Yeah, um, smells good. <laughs> potpourri for us is where we bring up anything that we've been watching lately, or anything that we're looking forward to coming up. Uh, it could be a show, a, uh, a movie, any kind of news, whatever. Um, anything we want as long as it smells good. Yes. Is our saying. That's our little slogan there. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, and seeing that this is extended potpourri, we're basically foregoing a main topic and we're just going to throw out potpourri segments uh, throughout the entire episode length. Um, it's very fitting. We haven't done potpourri in like a month that's true so. and we'd actually planned this episode at the end of last year at the end of december right now it's the middle of january um and the reason that we planned it for the end of december was like i i personally wanted to just just talk about all the stuff that i had built up over that span of time mm-hmm. um but that didn't work out so we yeah. built up even more um yeah so in in Going into this, obviously, this is going to be kind of going through different topics and different movies and shows and everything. We're not going to spoil anything. If we do, it will be very clearly uh, mentioned in the episode. And if we, if you want to navigate spoilers or navigate topics, check the show notes for show uh, uh, for timestamps for each of the topics that we're about to discuss in this episode. It's a meticulous piece of editing that I do with every episode and. Um, we've actually got some good feedback on it, actually, on nice. the timestamps. So that's it's, good. It's not for nothing. So tiny, do you want to open up this potpourri for us? I'd love to. Nice. This is kind of both of our entries because we've both been watching this. It is, and for the record, I did bring it up in an earlier episode because okay. I'm a fan of the book series. But go ahead. Okay. Uh, we have been watching the show, uh, the original sci-fi show, The Expanse, uh, which started, uh, you know. Three four weeks ago, December fourteenth. December fourteenth. Why you know that? You would know that. I I you know. Dork. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I became interested in the show because of uh, Matt talking about the books. Mm-hmm. I thought it sounded like a really cool premise, and uh, I think sci-fi churn sci-fi the network uh, churns out some pretty cool, some pretty quality shows. I think. Um, yeah, uh, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, not not yeah. all of them. I mean, that's it's true of any network. Um, Do you want to give your um? Your breakdown of the synopsis from your perspective on it? Sure. Um, it's a, it's a story that takes place in the future. 
I'm actually not sure how far in the future. Um, but basically, humans have colonized our solar system. Um, there's people, there's a colony on Mars, there's a, um, there's this whole, uh, this whole group of people called Belters who mm-hmm. live on the, uh, Kuiper Belt on the outside mm-hmm. of the solar system. Um, and humans have just spread out to all our, to the different planets and stuff like that. And there's this whole culture and hierarchy and, and really this political landscape that exists just like it does on Earth now, except it's expanded across the entire solar system. Would you say it's expansive? I wouldn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's that's really a great name for the uh, right for the series because it's it's crazy how the distances are crazy and the, the lengths that our species goes to goes to to like perpetuate this lifestyle. Because like there's there's an entire industry of just ships. That are ice trawlers, right? Which means they're just out in space, uh, picking up pieces of ice for water, because yep. the human race has spread out so much that they live in multiple places where there is no water. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just that's like it's just it seems most like, notably the Belters. No, most notably the Belters. Belters. Yeah, there's uh, they haven't. I don't know if they specifically said there's water on Mars in the show, but I think it's safe. I to think assume I think they, they terraformed it in the in the. Oh, did they? Okay. I think I don't know. Okay. Anyway, we're we're getting we're getting too deep into this. Yeah, a little bit. Um, so the expanse is aired. They're airing as of this recording. Their sixth episode tonight. You've okay. seen. I've only seen two, two? so far. Okay, yeah. good. Um, okay, I've seen um, five five, uh, and they're airing their sixth episode tonight. Okay. Um, so what do you think of those two episodes that you saw? Um, I think it's it's. Pretty impressive, really, what they managed to do. Um, you could tell from the get-go that they were like committed to the, to the, um, the quality of it, I guess, because the pilot doesn't feel like a pilot. Like it's really polished and mm-hmm. uh, all the everything's explored really well. Um, I, I, I think the one, or I, it's, it's kind of been hard for me to get into the show. I, uh, I'm not connecting with the characters that well. I think the oh, characters are kind of. Um, so far, I think, anyways, the characters are just a little, just a little faceless. Like, I, I don't know anybody's name yet. Oh. And it's just like, I don't know, I just, I haven't been able to connect to it that well, but I can, I've been able to follow the story. There's this conflict going on, and there's kind of a Cold War type situation. Um, and that's all really cool. I, I like how there's, there's this conspiracy that's going on, and there's a lot of blame. It's, it's almost like there was a, um, Gosh, I can't think of the terminology when, like, a government perpetrates an act of terrorism to spring something. Um, false flag. It's like, yeah, there you go. It's kind of like a false flag event that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really compelling. Um, so I've, I've enjoyed the first two episodes. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's a really cool setting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's super, super ambitious. Yeah. Um, really glad they didn't try to make movies because <clears> I, it, I could just tell right away it wouldn't have worked at all. Right. Um, Are you going to stick with it? I'm definitely going to stick with it. Nice. Yeah. Um, they're like I said, you could just tell they're committed to it. Mm-hmm. And it's worth like noting everything and everything that it was renewed for a second season. Nice. So that made me very happy actually because I've read the I've read three of the five books that are currently out um, of it, and I'm, I'm I really enjoy the books. Uh, like the third one wasn't as strong as the other two, but I, I just love the. I love this universe and the characters at the center of it. Like the 
crew at the heart of the story is is Holden and and his little crew from the from the Canterbury in the first episode and beyond. And I just I love that ragtag angle and that that kind of that small group of of character interactions. It's, it has a very it lends a very Firefly um, feel to it. Nice. In uh, in a universe that has such uh, political intrigue, but um, so I'm enjoying the series as well, and I, I really. I really, I'm, I'm eager to hear your thoughts on episodes, episode four specifically. Okay. Cause I, I really, I really, I really love that episode. Um, that's the episode where it kind of, the pieces kind of click together for me. Or I feel like that's the episode that, um, <laughs> that will hook viewers, I hope. Okay. Um, but <laughs> in terms of the expanse, I kind of want to explain, I kind of want to explain my, perspective on it as as i'm going forward with it um so <clears throat> i don't have cable um i have my my cable setup for the time being um once my contract is up i'm gonna have to figure something out but um it's a very nice a very nice setup uh, i just have internet and like the bare minimum local channels and that's pretty much it. I have Hulu, I have Netflix, I have Amazon Prime, I have uh, HBO Go, I have HBO as part of my cable package as well. Um, so it's a pretty sweet deal, pretty sweet setup. Unfortunately, there's no sci-fi. And I can't find a way, to, I, I don't have a way to legally obtain the episodes of The Expanse, and I wanted to watch it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I did something really interesting that that really made me think about... The way that we consume media at home um, today versus something as as soon as five to ten years ago. Um, I bought the season pass on Google Play. Oh, okay. Yeah, like uh, it was like twenty 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 five bucks uh, for the entire season on Google Play. And the reason I say that is that Tiny, you have a history of, and I do as well, of buying shows on iTunes back in back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. And one of my main hangups for that was that, like, <laughs> let me take you back to like 2006. Mm-hmm. I had like an iPod video yeah. and I bought like a season of The Office and like three seasons of 24, uh, <laughs> despite having the DVDs. Um, RIP disposable income. But, um, <laughs> but, um, uh, so I had those so I could watch them on my iPod at work and I never did. <laughs> so they just kind of sat there. But now I have like a Chromecast and Google Play is very conducive to, to obviously to streaming to a Chromecast. So mm-hmm. I've just been watching them in HD via my Chromecast, via my phone, via Google Play. <laughs> and it's, and it's kind of fascinating to me. It's like we're in an age where watching something, paying for something a la carte is, is, uh, is a possibility to us. Like it's far cheaper for me to get um, to buy one season of The Expanse on Google Play rather than have a cable package that I'm going to pay monthly for sci-fi and other channels that I'm not never going to watch um, for a year's contract or whatever, um, only for what would what could potentially amount to one season of The Expanse right. in that in that calendar year. So I mean, this is this is perfect for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also, it's a bonus if you buy it on Google Play. They have um like inside the episodes segments after every episode like HBO does. Nice. So that's a, that's a nice little added bonus there. Cool. Yeah, so that's that's my 
That's my somewhat futuristic experience with watching The Expanse. I forgot that was um, even an option. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been patronizing Google Play a lot lately. Nice. Um, as I'll get into later in this episode. Um, so yeah, so that's The Expanse currently airing on Sci-Fi. Please support it because I love it. Oh, another thing. Oh, I forgot about this. Um, <laughs> I uh, I take partial credit for uh, its renewal. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, they did, they did right by allowing access to every episode early. Cause like, even if I didn't have Google Play as an option, and in fact, one of the ways that I did watch, like, I think the first two episodes of it was that, uh, the, I think the second or third week after the first episode aired, they just threw all, like, like they threw four episodes on sci-fi.com and you could watch them without, um, without Simon or anything. Wow. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> What I did was I would basically come home for like for like three days in a row, three or four days in a row, pretty much any time I did for like a week, any time I thought about it. I uh, would just kind of open my laptop, go to sci-fi.com, <laughs> play the first episode, mute my computer, and let it uh, let it play through all four episodes. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to support this show. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, and my, my diligence paid off because uh, it's renewed. Nice. Um, so, yeah. You're welcome, sci-fi. You're, you're welcome, sci-fi. You're welcome, Ty Frank and Daniel Abraham. They're the writers of the books. <laughs> right. Uh, who politely declined, uh, to be interviewed on the podcast. Very politely. Uh, very, oh yeah, very politely. Yeah. Um, anyway. So enough about the expanse. I'm going to go ahead and jump over to my bunch of topics, basically. Um, so these will be kind of brief. What, the way that I have this set up is that I have a, I have I have a lot of stuff to yeah. talk about. Um it's all stuff that I've been kind of like silent about on the podcast um until now. Um <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bunch together um different things and then kind of go somewhat rapid fire through each one and then we'll go to Tiny's next segment and then I'll do the same thing after that. So these are basically mostly theater viewings. Um the first one I saw was Trumbo. Are you familiar with this, Tiny? I am, yeah, but okay. I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, so it's it's Brian Cranston playing uh, Dalton Trumbo, the uh, famed screenwriter uh, that was one of the blacklisted screenwriters uh, back at the back uh, during the Red Scare. And kind of the big the big selling point, at least in the trailers, is that this is the story of how he how he kind of started ghostwriting cheap uh, sci-fi. Uh, um, uh, scripts under different names and how he, how he, how he gave, how he facilitated a group of people who have been outcasted from, or, uh, who'd been blacklisted, how he, how he facilitated jobs through this cl- clandestine writing operation through pseudonyms. Hmm. Um, somewhat unfortunately, that doesn't really come into play until about maybe halfway through the movie, uh, maybe a little bit longer into it. And it's, I don't know, the pacing just felt kind of off throughout it. Um, mm-hmm. the cast is phenomenal though. It's, uh, it's Cranston. It's, uh, um, Michael Stuhlbarg. Nice. Um, uh, uh, uh Louis C.K. plays, plays, uh, one of the screenwriters as well. Wow. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty good cast. Oh, um, uh, John Goodman. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he, he does, he, he does well in it, but, um, it's overall, it was pretty good. I, I really had high hopes. I really hoped that it would be kind of a big, like, um, Oscar heavy awards consideration 
performance for Cranston. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but it, it just didn't, it just didn't, it just didn't land there. It wasn't, it wasn't to that effect for me. Um, That's too bad. yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty good. It was, I, w- I would give it just a, just a pretty good all around. I didn't, I wasn't too, uh, distraught over it or I wasn't, I wasn't, um, too down on it, but I, I mean, I'm not going to own it and I thought it was just okay. Um, next up is another, this was all kind of toward a, a final push at the end of the year to watch as many 2015 movies as I could. And this next one is The Danish Girl. Mm-hmm. With uh, Alicia Vikander and um, Eddie Redmayne, his character was uh, was the first person to undergo a sex change operation. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> so it has that kind of cultural relevance that um, that deep or that that kind of um, it, it's it could have been a platform to show what's um, the the struggle is like for people for transgender people today. Um, unfortunately it's, it's kind of a more straightforward biopic and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of dull and, and, and I, I mean, I hate to, I really, I really hate to cast this on Eddie Redmayne particularly, but I feel like it's, it's a little, um, uh, how, how do I phrase it? it it's a little too, it's a little too bad. Not, not, not bad, but it's a little too, it's a, it's a little unfortunate that this was his next role after, um, um, uh, The Theory of Everything. Yeah. Cause that was a very physical, transformative performance. And this is kind of the same way. And it kind of feels like he's just kind of just going from a, a very, this is a loose, this is a loose, um, um, comparison, but it's, it's, they're two very physical performances that are transformative by nature. Um, my rap group name. And, uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, and it, it, this one just didn't kind of have, it, this, this one didn't really have the power behind it that the theory of everything did. However, Tiny, do you know who directed this movie? I don't. Mr. Tom Hooper. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Of, uh, John Adams. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. he also did Les Mis, did he? Yeah. And the King's Speech. And the King's Speech. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this movie was freaking gorgeous. Nice. Um, like, holy crap. It, like, there are, there are shots that, like, he, like, he, he loves the wide angle. Um, and it's just like the, the amount of, um, like the set, produ- set design and the production that's captured in a, in a still frame is like, it j- is just all, all um awe-inspiring wow um so it, it was a very beautiful movie but ultimately ultimately the danish girl just didn't really do anything for me gotcha um yeah so next up is uh <laughs> the latest movie from david o russell and jennifer lawrence mm-hmm. who i am an unabashed fan of yeah. um um yeah uh she's amazing um <laughs> but david o russell i'm not i'm i'm it's not that I'm not a fan of his. It's more that I'm not excited by anything he does. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, like I like I I never even really I never even got through all of American Hustle because it just kind of just wasn't really for me. Um, I think I watched it at a bad time, like I was tired or something, and I just it just felt really it just didn't hook me in that in in the beginning or uh or whatever. Ever. So I or <laughs> ever so yeah. so I stopped it. Um. <laughs> So basically I uh I went into Joy not really expecting much. Um 
And, you know, I honestly, I really, I quite enjoyed it. Hmm. Um, <laughs> quite enjoyed. Hey. Um, <laughs> no, it was, it was a lot better than I expected. I, it's not by any stretch a, a great movie or anything. Like it didn't really stick with me all that much. Um, I will say Jennifer Lawrence is fantastic. She mm-hmm. plays, uh, Joy. I can't remember her last name, but she's the real life woman who, um, invented the miracle mop. And so she was like the first non-celebrity to sell an item on QVC hmm. and she made a crap ton of money. So joy is about her rise and it, it does a really good job of depicting like, um, like a struggling, a struggling single mother dynamic and, and how she has some family issues. Like her dad, her dad, uh, moves moves back in with her and her mom is very uh transfixed by television and and just very uh lazy and lethargic and not doing anything with her life which is kind of a reflection of of joy and and kind of what makes her want to break out of that and do something with her life basically hmm. um and then she's also living with her ex-husband who is oddly really helpful to her and everything um so it's an interesting dynamic but i feel like I feel like none of the supporting characters had like their due. Like there was, really? yeah, it was, it was very much focused on joy and, and her, uh, her, her story, which, which is fine. And Jennifer Lawrence does, does quite well with it. But I just feel like, like they had Robert De Niro as her father and his main arc is, is how he is affecting her business, which, which was fine in its own right. But I, I feel like it's, I feel like I didn't get, I feel like I was introduced to him as a character in his dynamic within the family and his dynamic with, um, her mother and with his, with her ex-husband. But none of those are really fully explored. And the only depth that his character goes through is, um, his and her interactions with, with Joy in regards to the Miracle Mop. And I felt like that was just a little, it was a little lacking for me. And then, uh, Bradley Cooper plays, uh, a guy who works at QVC who helps her get started and he's just kind of a uh, if this wasn't a David O. Russell movie and they weren't and Cooper and De Niro weren't uh part of O. Russell's like muse right now like mm-hmm. they wouldn't be cast in that movie it would just right. be kind of just like they would be less expensive actors because <laughs> they don't have much to do in it but gotcha yeah but I will say that kind of toward the end of the movie while I didn't while I didn't while I didn't think that it is a complete movie was all that great. Um, I was still really, um, endeared by joy as a character. And to the point that kind of toward the end, there's, there's kind of some pivotal things that happen. And there's, there's some, the way that the, the way that the story ends for her, uh, was actually, it resonated with me. It actually kind of, kind of was effective on an emotional level. So I appreciated that. Well, David O. Russell's been doing a lot of like ensemble pieces. That's true. With a bunch of characters in it. And so maybe, I don't think he's ever balanced them that well. Right. Maybe with the exception of Silver Linings Playbook, which I actually love that movie. Me too. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen it again for a couple of years, but, um, I, I really love that movie. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wish that American Hustle would have been the, would have hooked me the way that that did or that, um, Joy would have been as great as that was for mm-hmm. me. Um, then next up, another theater viewing is, uh, The Big Short, which in our Steve Jobs episode, uh, guest host, uh, Greg Lenz talked about it in Potpourri as something he was looking, looking forward to. And throughout the entire, throughout the entire movie, I was like, 
Greg needs to be here and Greg needs to see this movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so for him. It's, uh, and, and I really loved so much about it, actually. Nice. Um, yeah, it's about the housing collapse in 2008. And it's about how, um, it's been a few weeks since I've seen it, but I, I could grasp it. Um, it's about how, how a few people, uh, could see the writing on the wall and mm-hmm. see how the housing market was, was created by a bunch of junk subprime mortgages bundled together and how it's just basically a house of cards waiting to fall down. Mm-hmm. And so it was just about how they, how they ended up buy, <laughs> uh, buying options on the, on these things with the anticipation, like betting against the housing market and uh, like anticipating them, anticipating the fall so that they could get a crap, like un- inconceivable amounts of money okay. from it. Um, and what I loved about this is that it made it so that I could say that without feeling like an idiot or <laughs> anything. The way that yeah. the content, the way that the content is given to us and the way that the story is told to us is so amazing to me. It's like, hmm. it's, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's like kind of like a, it's kind of like a documentary style. Uh, uh, um, um, wow. Uh, Ryan Gosling. Uh, talks to us, talks to the, talks to us directly and kind of narrates it. And he's, he'll say things like, okay, so you know how the housing market did this. Um, well, well, yeah, you know that, but, um, well, actually what you know is just something that you've prepared so that you, do, so that you don't sound like an idiot around people. <laughs> but this is how it actually happened. This is what it was. And they, it presents it in such a way, in such an interesting way. And then like there are a few moments where, uh, <laughs> where they'll they'll say something like uh subprime mortgages they'll be like so what are subprime mortgage mortgages um i know it's going to be hard to talk about but here's um i don't know if i even want to say it because it's a spoiler but okay. here's here's an in, here's an inventive way from which we can tell you this this information in a, in a way that you'll pay attention <laughs> um <laughs> with a celebrity cameo that's funny. Yeah, and they do this like two or three times throughout the movie, and then part some of the characters as they're going through the story and everything, they'll break the fourth wall and stop mid sentence and be like, uh, uh, be like, like they'll turn to the camera and say, "This isn't actually how this happened. We weren't just at a bank and we found this in- information. We <laughs> went through a couple emails and stuff like that, and it wasn't as sexy as like being here or whatever. But for the sake of the story, we're just condensing it here. <laughs> it's just like it's it was so unique to see it presented that way. Um. But the overall story and the overall movie was really, really quite well done. Um, in terms of storytelling, there's something about the, um, directing that I didn't quite like. Um, okay. It was, uh, directed by Adam McKay. Right, which is kind of crazy. Which is super crazy. Not his typical shtick. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, you know, he did a great job of, of presenting the information and everything, but he did a lot of, like, handheld like um close-ups and stuff like that and there's some weird camera camera tricks that he used um i actually heard on on a podcast that it was due to um i think that the that what he tried to do some of the some of the shots were fuzzy even like they were not focused properly um and that was very off-putting it made me think that it was going for like a documentary style but mm-hmm. i've heard that it's also that they were um that they had a camera stationary in, in a certain corner or a certain area so that they would have to so that they wouldn't have to shoot coverage for it and they could just roll with it and then in like it just turned out that that uh that method was not uh able to capture it at at, at the correct focus or something like that huh yeah so it was off-putting from a technical standpoint but 
<clears throat> the uh, the content of it of it was quite good, and I, I enjoyed it. It didn't make my list uh, at the end of the year or anything like that, but um, it was such a watchable movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, very watchable. Um, I'm bummed I missed it. Yeah, it's it's definitely check it out. I think you'll get a lot out of it. I'm sure I will. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then my last one for this is I'll just fire through these three movies. Um, I saw one on Amazon Prime, which was The Hunger Games Catching Fire, which I really liked a lot more than the first The Hunger Games. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was just okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really like the, the way that the story unfolds. It's, it's all kind of just a clandestine kind of thing that's going on under everyone's nose. And then at the end, it's just, it packs a punch that brings you right into the next movie, mm-hmm. uh, very effectively. Um, and then I also watched on Hulu, I watched, uh, the Hunger Games Mockingjay part one. And then in the theater, I saw Mockingjay part two. And I'm going to say something that is somewhat not what I've heard other people say ever. (laughs) Um, in defense of them splitting the last book (laughs) into two movies, I would seriously argue that they needed to do that. Really? Um, yeah, while the content of Mockingjay as a whole did not necessitate two movies by any stretch, and I could definitely feel that in part one, mm-hmm. I would definitely argue that the way that Catching Fire ended with such a quite literal earth-shattering um, uh, sequence in which we, like, the movie closes on something, on uh, closes in such a way that the audience has been blindsided and introduced to an entirely different world uh, other than the Pan Am that we've been we've seen in two movies. And my argument is that in doing that, we needed Mockingjay Part 1 as an effective bridge to introduce this entirely new district and this entirely new dynamic and new characters and new um, conflict in order to ease us into the finale of Part 2. Um, whether or not that needed two movies is, is, is not really, um, is up for debate really. But I would say that if this, if this series wasn't beholden to novels and the way that the story, um, worked out through that, I would argue that all that they really needed was one, was, uh, the first movie could have been a combination of Hunger Games and Catching Fire. They could have combined those two and then introduced um, um, no, that's not the way I would want to do it. Crap. Um, uh, a combination, it wouldn't even be a combination. It would just be, it would just be catching fire even. Like that would be the introduction to the world. Like we wouldn't need the first Hunger Games. We would need maybe, maybe like a little bit of it on, um, in, in the first movie, but it would be mostly the story of catching fire. And then by the end we would get, um, this new world and, and this new, this new storyline and everything. And this worked out a lot better in my head, <laughs> but I had it set to where you would, you could easily tell the story in a much cleaner fashion, um, in three movies rather than, t- rather than four. And it wouldn't take, um, it wouldn't take two books and then split a third and two. It would take, um, it would be more streamlined is basically what I'm saying. Gotcha. In terms of the storytelling between the two, very clear, uh, very clearly, uh, the two different types of conflict, essentially. Okay. okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I got what you're saying, yeah. So, I don't know. That's, that's what I thought. And Mockingjay Part 2, I, by the end of it, I just, I, I was relieved to be done with it. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen either of the Mockingjays yet. 
Yeah, it's there. Yeah. I mean, if you have any interest in finishing the Hunger Games series, and you've read the books, right? I read the books, yeah. Yeah, um, you might get something out of it. I will say that Mockingjay Part 2, there's a couple sequences that were very, very well done. I, I mm. actually really appreciated them, but by the end of it, I was just kind of relieved. Like, it reaches a point where, like any movie um, of this nature, it reaches a point where the conflict is over, and we get the, the day in Numan, we get to fi- find out what happens with these characters, and with the absence of the conflict, I didn't care about the characters. <laughs> like, wow. I just, I was like, okay, I don't, I don't care what's, what these characters are doing now, um, at all. And the way that it ends, like, like the way that the conflict is resolved was telegraphed. So, like, I, I, it was telegraphed so hard. Like, I, I knew exactly what characters were going to do to end mm-hmm. things. And I was just like, I'm, I was waiting for it. I was just waiting for it to happen. Not in a, oh, I can't wait to see what happens. More of a, all right, I can't wait to get back to my car. <laughs> um, wow. So, yeah. So that's, that, those are all movies that I saw in the theater, um, fairly recently. And, uh, that, that's it for my first potpourri segment. Wow. An hour later, probably. <laughs> uh, Tiny, what's your first potpourri or second potpourri after the expanse? Um, my second one is actually, uh, Daredevil, which nice. I watched on Netflix, obviously. Um, I, I put it off for a while, and I don't really know why. I think I just kind of was hesitant to start it. I I, mm. I really don't have an excuse, but uh, you really talked me into it, and mm. I was like, "Well, I'm going to quit putting it off." And I finally watched it, and I'm <laughs> glad I did because it is it is so awesome, right? It is so well done. Charlie Cox, man, he's just great. I mean, really, there's no weak link in the show. I think everyone does a really good, really good job. Um, I think it's interesting because the the story is pretty. It's it's pretty formulaic for a mm-hmm. for a comic book based you know kind of a hero based story. Um, I th- I think Matt Murdock uh, slash Daredevil is a is a pretty kind of a pretty standard hero really. I think mm-hmm. he has. I mean, obviously, there's the fact that he's 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 blind in a way that sets him apart. Obviously, that's different. But what I mean is he's he has this he has this incorruptible drive to. Mm-hmm save the city he lives in it's 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 very very batman it's, yeah it's a yeah. very batman kind of influence if you will um but it's really not a bad thing i, I think right. i think it's it's you know bruce wayne has his own his own methods and his own uh uh reasons and inspiration for what he does and i think matt murdoch's are different I, you know mm-hmm. he's bruce wayne's a billionaire matt, matt murdoch is not bruce wayne is just a kind of a guy who's really good at doing hand-to-hand combat. Right. But, and then Matt Murdock is a guy who has almost like, almost superpower. It's, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a muddy area. Um, he says that his senses are heightened and stuff like that. It's, it's kind of a cop out in my opinion. Uh, the guy's basically a superhero. Um, so there's, there's some little, I guess you could, you could kind of knock it for those things, but, Honestly, it felt so fresh that I really it 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 doesn't feel it doesn't feel derivative. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a clear derivation, but it doesn't it doesn't feel derivative. It's kind yeah. it's weird. Um, the violence too. Yeah, the yeah the the, the how visceral it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you feel like you're up close and personal and like involved in a lot of the fights. Um, they're not they're not ridiculously theatric like like you know. Uh, 
crouching tiger, hidden dragon type stuff, like really ridiculous, physically impossible kind of stuff. It's not, it's not overly theatrical in, in that respect. Um, he, uh, and it's cool because you see the, you see the effects of what he does. Um, they don't, they don't sugarcoat anything. He's, he's constantly beat up and bruised and he's got black eyes all the time. And I mean, there, there's a fight where he almost dies. It's really rough. Man, it's, that's, oh, that's the one that it opened an episode, right? It yes, was like the yes. beginning of an episode. Yes. Oh, that was one of the most brutal sequences I've seen Absolutely. in a while. And, and because he's so, because he's so humanized in that respect, he has to be a great character. Because there's times throughout this first season where he is just, he has to recover. He can't be out kicking ass at night because he has gaping wounds in his body from these fights. Right. And so he has to be a good character because during those times he can't, he can't be out in action scenes. He has to be in the thick of it as a character. And, mm. uh, I, there, there's some really heavy moments in this where it's just, it's just two characters having a conversation and it's really, it feels like a like a like a Sorkin conversation mm-hmm. from a Sorkin movie because it's just it's just two people going back and forth pretty quickly and there's emotions are just jacked and it's it's really impressive what they what they were able to achieve with all their characters but especially mm-hmm. Matt Murdock. Um, it's it is a really involved show. I, I mean, uh, Matt when Matt mentioned it a mm-hmm. few times, he mentioned um, Wilson Fisk, the yes. villain. Uh, and, and I agree with your statement that he's probably nice. the, probably the, the best developed villain in, in what we've gotten out of Marvel so far as, as like visual, like, a, like a movies and TV shows. Yeah. I can't speak to the comics, but. Right, right. The movies and TV shows we've gotten, I think he's probably the best villain so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, most well-rounded anyways. Um. Because he's given like equal time in the s- series to develop and I love that about it. Absolutely. There's, there's a whole episode that's just about his routine kind of right oh that's such a great episode i need to rewatch it it's so uh it's so like i already used the word visceral i want to say the word visceral again but so you feel like you're in his head Mm -hmm. and that's that's such a difficult thing to it's such a difficult thing to visualize psychology Mm -hmm. and and then how a person thinks without them just coming out and saying it right but they they did it there's not there's not a bunch of stupid exposition Absolutely. It's, it's, it was demonstrated visually and demonstrated visually really, really well. Um, it, it's, it's just, in so many ways, it's just a well done show. Absolutely. Yeah. The new season comes out in March and I'm so, so pumped for it. Oh, me too. Yep. Me too. And, uh, it's, it, I just, I like the format they're laying out for the show. I don't want to spoil anything, yeah. but the way they're formatting the, the seasons and the storylines and the show as a whole, I think it's a really good choice, and mm-hmm. it's it's going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about the costume kind of toward the end of the season when he got the, the Daredevil costume in the show? Um, I I usually have I usually take issue with uh with superhero costumes because mm-hmm. they're just so ridiculous, right? Um, and so I was really happy throughout this whole season to have him. <clears throat> he's just pretty much decked out in black and yeah. wears a mask, and I think it's cool and it looks cool and it's. It's effective, it's realistic, and then at the end, yeah, he gets that, the classic Daredevil costume. And right. it's okay. I, I'm not really, I can't give him too much crap, because it's not like it's bright red, and mm-hmm. it's not like fire engine red, you know. It's, right. It, it's a muted maroon, blood red kind of color. So I respect that, but it's it's still just, it's still fairly silly. 
Yeah. Um, I, I I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I thought the same thing. Because like it like that that just all black suit with the black mask was just it was just so cool and it fit the right. tone of the series so well. Um, it was realistic and effective, yeah. and you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I, yeah. I I really I can't take too much away from him for for what the guy wears. Right. Yeah. It's not it's not anything that that was uh. Uh, damaging to the series overall by any stretch. Right. Um, yeah. So that's Daredevil. It's on yeah. the Netflix. And do you mind if I go next with my big bunch of stuff? Deborah Ann Wool is just gorgeous. Oh, she's, yeah, she's amazing. She's, be- she, I mean, yeah. she's a great actress. So I'm not trying to take anything away from her. Right, right, right. God, she's just beautiful. She is. Yeah. She is. Um, and her character has such an interesting arc. She does. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Such a great, such a great show. It's good. Um, yeah, so kind of leapfrogging off of that, I'll go into uh, what I've been watching on Netflix, really. Um, <clears throat> and I'll go ahead and go out of order what's on the screen right here. But um, uh, I watched the eight-episode run of Wet Hot American Summer, first day of camp. Wow. Yeah, tiny. Have you ever seen Wet Hot American Summer? Yeah, I saw the movie. Yes. So Wet Hot American Summer, first day of camp is a prequel series. <laughs> made uh like 15 years in the future made 15 years after wet hot american summer a movie in which the camp counselors of the of the camp were already like 10 years too old to for their characters <laughs> um <laughs> and it is it is so it's so freaking hysterical um the movie wet hot american summer is such is one of the one of the zaniest kind of comedies it's like there there are things that happen that are just so bizarre and so out there and so unexpected. Um, and first day of camp just carries that spirit on in, in spades. It's, it's amazing. Um, and you see the origin of so many different characters, so many different interactions and so many different things. Like there are so many just random origins for, for uh, through, throughout the run. And it's, uh, I can't give anything away, but it, it's, it's just, it's hilarious. It's, I, I had so much fun watching this, watching the show and I'm probably going to watch it again fairly soon. Nice. Yes. And then uh, also I watched uh, seasons five through ten of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, and, man, I, like, okay, when was the last time you watched It's Always Sunny, Tiny? Oh, it's been a good four or five years. Right? Same with me. I yeah. kind of dropped off uh, around the end of season six, I think. Yeah. And uh, I just, I, I mean, it's not really that the quality dipped for me or anything like that. I just thought that I just I just didn't really feel like watching it anymore. Yeah. And, uh Man, watching these seasons of the show is like, uh, it's so amazing to me to think that after 10 years of the show, like, it's still consistently funny and it's hmm. consistently well maintained. Like, they've gotten more money and they can do more things. So it's, it kind of loses some of that grungy, kind of like dirty appeal, but it's the growth of the interactions or of the, of the scenarios that they play out and it has, is, is tremendous. Um, and I want to single out one episode in particular from season nine. It's called the gang wants to get an award and it's, it's so on the nose and, and really kind of like, I'm not, this wasn't really subtle, but the entire episode is basically a metaphor for why it's always sunny in Philadelphia. doesn't get nominated for Emmys or award consideration. Okay. And it is, it's, it's freaking hysterical. Like I was, I was like cracking up throughout it the entire time. Um, <laughs> like they go, they go to a a more popular bar that is clearly like supposed to be like like a uh, like a popular sitcom, mm-hmm. and it's like wow, the, this bar is such such uh, 
is lit so well <laughs> and it's not dark and weird. Um, and then, uh, and then like they go up to the bar and they see like the bartenders, this really have like really happy and charismatic guy. And then, uh, this black guy comes up and he's like, Oh, Hey guys, can I get your drink order too? Or, or, uh, he says some witty remark to the bartender and he's like, that's why you're my best friend. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the gay, like, like Mac is like, it's, it's, it's cool. Cause they're clearly best friends, but no one's like bringing up the fact that the guy's black. And it's, cause like, they're so. <laughs> They're so un PC and they're so like out of touch and everything that, that that's like what they focus on. Oh my god. <laughs> and then like the like the bartenders go through this whole thing where like the there's a will they won't they with the with the bartender and the and the cute waitress and <laughs> and like the the whole time the gang is just kind of uh spectating it and saying like I really want them to get back get together but <laughs> but she's got that boyfriend that's never in town and mm. all that and it's just it's really it was really funny to see them poke fun at what's more popular and then they Toward the end of the episode, they they go back to the bar and they they're trying to pitch why or they're trying to decide why they never get an award because the whole thing is that the the best bar in Philadelphia award or something is is like up in the air and they're like why do we never get this we've been around for for years and why are we never considered for it um, and then they're like well is it because of our placement and then and then they're like no that bar down the street opened up and they got a ton of awards last year <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's just it's so it's it's fan it's fantastic it like that episode alone made me really happy that's, uh, that's funny. yeah that's season nine the gang wants to get an award uh or wants an award um and then finally i watched three movies on netflix i'll run through them really quickly beasts of no nation is the kara fukunaga um child uh, uh child soldier um in africa movie um with idris elba <clears throat> that is a movie that uh, Netflix bought and produced, I don't know if they produced it, but they bought it and distributed it mm-hmm. on to Netflix and also a limited uh, run in theaters. Um, so, I really, really liked the movie. Um, it was very, it was very gripping. It was very tragic because um, it's about a, a child soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, Idris Elba is phenomenal in it. Nice. Um, he does this really great um, kind of general general character who's commanding these child these child uh child soldiers and it's like it's a very it's a very impactful performance and everything um i something was just kind of missing for me i I didn't really like it's it's an it's an anonymous um country and it's 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 an anonymous conflict but i i didn't really get what they were fighting for i didn't really get what was going on in terms of the overall war i just knew that like the main character who's our um our main character, he gets kind of sucked into this very sadly sucked into this life of being, uh, being a soldier. Um, and we follow him through it, but I didn't get any context for it. Um, having said that, there's some uh, just amazing visuals in it. Like it's Kerry Fukunaga. So he, he shot it like, like there's, there's one, there's one moment that is like devastating to me. And it, and it's, and it's uh it's stunning from a visual from a technical standpoint because it's all one take. Mm-hmm. It's like a five minute single take where the kids are are raiding this house basically, um, and then something happens in it that is a reflection of of the character's growth. The main character uh, Argo, I think his name is, um, he basically sees a woman, and he he has a moment of clarity, and then he does something horrific, and it's just the way that the entire scene plays out is so. Like it was, 
like I, it was, it was like, it's going to stick with me for, for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it was all one, one continuous take involving small child actors who I believe were all like, like they weren't like, uh, native actors. They weren't, they were like actual, like they, like they just found, um, African children in the area, I think, um, and cast them that way. They, they, they weren't like professional actors. Um, and the way that they could get that performance in that long of a, of a take was just, Stunning, actually. So yeah, so that's Beast of No Nation. Uh, quite good, quite good. Um, a little lacking for me though overall. Okay. Um, and then I watched Tangerine, which was a movie I missed when it was at Indie Film Fest last July. Um, it's uh, it's a movie about transgender prostitutes and one that's come that gets out of uh, I think rehab, to find out that her hooker slash or not hooker, but uh, her her pimp slash boyfriend. Uh, cheated on her. So the entire movie is her trying to find him, uh, to confront him about it. Hmm. Um, and the kind of big thing about it is that, uh, A, I think it was, uh, produced by the, uh, um, um, wow, what is, what is, what is their name? Um, mm, the Duplass brothers. Oh, the Duplass brothers. Yeah, I think that they were, it was produced by the Duplass brothers. Um, but the kind of appeal of it is that the entire movie is shot on an iPhone. Really? Yeah, and it's like when I say that, like you, you get the sense that, like, oh, like you take your phone out and you're shooting. It, it's not like that. Like they, they had, they had a rig and they had a separate thing for sound and all that. But it, it's, it was, but it was using an iPhone to shoot it, and you, wow. you can tell, like the, the quality is is very unique to that, um, to 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 that style, and it, it really helped actually. Uh, come across as not gimmicky, but actually helped the story quite a bit. Um, it was entertaining. It was pretty funny. Um, the, uh, the actor who plays the pimp is the guy who played Ziggy in The Wire. Okay. So, yeah. and he, yeah, and he does a fine job. He's the only recognizable actor. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a fun, it was a fun movie. I, I didn't waste any time doing it or watching it. Um, then finally, I watched Slow Learners, which I'll, I won't really talk that much about it, but, um, it's a comedy with, uh, Adam Polly from, Happy Endings, which, by the way, Happy Endings in its entirety is on Hulu right now, so watch it if you haven't yet, if you have Hulu, because it's so hilarious, and I really wish that it had a better, bigger, uh, better, uh, wow, a bigger shot, but uh, it had three seasons, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's Adam Pally, and I can't remember the woman's name, but um, they play kind of like awkward, really goofy characters who aren't really good at dating, and they decide to change their personalities to become more... Um, uh, to become more, uh, fashionable and kind of just, uh, dickish, really. <laughs> and, uh, kind of, uh, slutty, really. Wow. Um, yeah, and it, it was, it was okay. It was, it was just okay. I wish it was better. Um, the opening scene, though, the standout of it is the opening scene, uh, is Adam Pally on a date. And he, um, <laughs> Uh, not to get too personal, but this resonated with me in a big, big way. Uh, the date isn't going well. He's, he's awkwarding it. He's awkwarding it so much. Um, and then he asks the woman when he notices that it's not going well, he says, what is it about? Like, like the kind of classic, like, what is it about me that I can't get that none of my dates are going well? What is it? And then the, uh, uh the, the woman just unloads a, like, like, Every insecurity that he has, <laughs> she just says it. Like, wow. you look kind of like, uh, I can't remember exactly what she said, but something like, 
Like you look like your eyes belong, don't belong, or it looks like you're, I, I don't remember, I'll butcher it, but it's like she goes systematically through every single, every single thing that's wrong with him. <laughs> and it's like, it's so, it's, it's one of the funniest things I'd seen in a movie, um, in 2015, really. Honestly, I'll, wow. I'll just say that. Um, it was, it was hilarious. But unfortunately, the movie overall wasn't really to my liking. And that's Slow Learners, and it's on the Netflix. And that does it for Netflix, uh, for me. Uh, Tiny, what is your next potpourri segment? Uh, my next potpourri segment is a TV show that just premiered, uh, this week. Uh, it was on the 10th, uh, Sunday the 10th. It's a new show, uh, produced by Peter Berg. Uh, it is called Live to Tell, and it's on the History okay. Channel. Uh, basically what it is, um, is it's actual, uh, veterans, uh, telling a fantastic story that they experienced during the war on terror, basically. Okay. Um, it's, it's exclusively stories from veterans who, who have fought in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no like, there's no first Gulf War or Vietnam or anything like that. Sure. Um, and it's, it's, it's really just these, it's, it's these professional warriors who sit down and basically tell you the story of one of the worst things, worst things that's ever happened to them. Um, it, it, I think, I, I don't know exactly what every story is going to be, but I think every story is going to involve a soldier being killed. Wow. Um, and that, there's only been one episode that's aired so far, and that's, that's what the first one was. It was about, uh, uh, Mark Allen Lee. He was a, uh, member of SEAL Team 3, and they were fighting, they fought in, uh, Ramadi, Iraq, uh, during 2005, 2006. Uh, at the time, it was the most dangerous place in the world. Wow. And they were responsible for infiltrating enemy territory. Taking some territory and setting up an outpost. Okay. Which is like unheard of in warfare. It's, it's literally like, let's go behind enemy lines <laughs> and kick them out of these buildings by basically killing them and take <sighs> over the buildings and never leave. Wow. That's basically what they were doing. It's really impressive. Um, okay. And at that time, no Navy SEALs had died in Iraq or Afghanistan. Okay. And that was from, wow. you know, Afghanistan was 2000, late 2001 or Maybe early, early 2002. Iraq was 2003. So three years and two years, no seals had died. Um, Mark Lee was the first one who, who was tragically killed. He was a machine gunner. Wow. Um, and he was kind of like the, he's basically the guy who provided cover fire when they were trying to move or trying to get around. He was almost like their shield. Okay. Uh, and unfortunately what happens to shields is they get hit with things and right. he got hit and he tragically died. Um, but it's, mm-hmm. it, these guys are just unbelievable. Um, just the, the caliber of men that they are. It's just so interesting to see them tell these stories and, 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 and explain all the emotions they were going through and explaining why they do it and why they like it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one guy who was the leader of SEAL Team 3. Um, he's since retired. He was in the Navy for 20 years, 25 years. Um, he said the only way he, he had, he just had these amazing lines, um, that aren't really lines. It's, it's just his own personal philosophy. He said, you know, my job is to find bad guys and kill them. He's like, 
That's how we're going to get rid of ISIS. What are there, 100,000 guys on ISIS? Give me 100,000 bullets. <laughs> I don't care how long it takes. And it's like, that's just an amazing mindset to be in. Most people don't have that kind of mindset when they have to tackle a huge task. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just like cleaning out your garage. It's like, there's a thousand things in your garage you got to move. And it's just like, it's just insurmountable. I'm not going to do it. Please, please don't use bullets to clean out your garage. <laughs> no. Please don't. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Not like Stephen Avery. Right. Um, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Well, they found bullets in his garage. Uh, that's true. <laughs> Listen to last, last week's episode on making a murderer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they, but it's just, you know, most people look at that like it's insurmountable. I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to do. Whereas these guys, they just go do it. They, they don't care about mm-hmm. the fact that it's going to take three days or that it's going to take however long or how many times they're going to have to do something. It's just like, this is the job. I don't care how it has to get done. We're going to do it. It's just an amazing tenacity that these guys have. I just, I, I can't, I can't imagine it. I, I can't, I can't put myself in their shoes and, and, and do what I can't see myself doing what they do. Um, there was one, one guy in particular who was, his his ability to articulate his thoughts was just uh, something something that I would not expect from from a uh, a grunt basically that's mm-hmm. uh, that's that's kind of a term of endearment in the right. military community this person who has their you know they put their boots on the ground and they go and they do the rough jobs mm-hmm. they do the hard things and that's kind of what this guy is and you just I wouldn't expect this kind of vocabulary and, and articulation and really intelligence from this kind of guy. Um, but he, he was just, he's just an amazing person. Like I, I'd love to meet him and just listen to him say things. He was just, there's just such, such incredible people, just such immense personalities in these, these soldiers, these people who give their lives to this, this cause. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the show because just because of its candor, it's, it's just such a, such a raw, untapped thing, you know. It's 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 going to be like um, the story of uh, Lone Survivor. Okay. It's like that story every week, you know. Wow. It's It's just incredible. Um, which you know, I think we had our qualms with that movie, but many, yeah. The story's incredible, though. Yeah. It's just yeah. an amazing real real life story that mm-hmm. happens. Um, and uh, that's that's going to be every week on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and where is it at? It's on the History Channel. History Channel. History Channel. Oh, yeah. Awesome. I'm not sure how long it's going to be. I don't know if it's just a mini series, or if they're going to have a season this year, the season next year, and after that. I'm not sure how long it's going to go. Um, but I'm hooked, and uh, I'm I'm going to record it every week and watch it. Nice, awesome. And that's live to tell. Yep. And so uh, my next bunch, and these these are going to be the, this is a lot shorter because I only have three. Um, <clears throat> these are movies that I rented on Google Play. Um, which I, I highly recommend that if you have Android and a Chromecast, it's, it's great. Um, it's a great alternative to like on demand and, and renting on iTunes and stuff like that. Um, anyway, so I rented three movies. One, the first one is Goodnight Mommy. Have you heard about this, Tiny? I have not. Well, it is currently on, uh, Amazon Prime, I believe. So I spent like $4 watching it <laughs> um no i uh i I'd, I'd been really looking forward to seeing this movie it's a kind of um i want to say austrian um horror movie or thriller horror thriller movie um that i had really high hopes for it's about two kids who two young kids whose mother comes home 
after having uh, some kind of surgery. And so she's wrapped in like a bandage and they get it in their head that, that she's not their real, their real mother. Mm. And so from there, it's this very suspenseful kind of game that they play that turns somewhat, uh, that takes some, that takes some very dangerous turns. And conceptually, I, I think that there is a freaking horrifying movie within this premise. Um, if they had gone with it and, and if they had gone, if they'd gone the way that my expectations for the movie had gone, this would have been like a, a defining movie for me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like it could have been just so unsettling and so crazy and, and terrifying. Um, unfortunately, it, it goes some places that I, I didn't see coming because I didn't expect them in this movie. Uh, but knowing that they were in this movie, I, I kind of, I, I thought it, it was a cheap shot, really. Um, the way that the, the way that certain things unfold is just, it, it com- comes across as lazy and, and derivative of, of the genre itself and, um, something that I didn't need, um, considering that I could have, that I, I truly believe this could have been a really, really incredible movie. Um, aside from those qualms, the movie itself is quite good. Um, quite well done. Um, very, very suspenseful. Um, but it just didn't stick the landing for me and it just kind of, kind of just didn't really do anything for me. Um, at the end. Uh, I, I thought it was, I thought it was good, good enough to watch. I'm, I'm actually, I made the remark that I spent money to rent it. I don't, um, I don't, uh, I don't regret it at all. It was, it was a, it was a good experience. Okay. Um, but just wasn't what I was looking for. Um, next up is Cop Car. Uh, do you know about this movie, Tony? I don't. Okay. It's a smaller movie that came out in 2015 and has Kevin Bacon, um, as a sheriff who's, Kind of a small town sheriff whose, whose, uh, police car he leaves unattended, uh, so that, uh, or, or, uh, he leaves unattended and two young kids take it for a joyride. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it comes to light that he is, that this, that this, that <laughs> Kevin Bacon is, uh, really, really, really adamant about getting this car back. <laughs> um, okay. And it's kind of this, uh, suspenseful, like, kind of cat and mouse game. Uh, not really cat and mouse, but like, um, he's trying to get this car back. And then there are moments that gave me a little bit of anxiety and that, uh, the kids find like weapons and stuff. And they, like, they, they're kids. So they don't know how to properly, uh, take care of or how to properly, they don't know the danger of the, the stuff that they're playing with. And it's very, it's, it's very suspenseful, but, um, then it kind of introduces a introduces an, an element toward the end and it ends in in a way that i i liked it's i guess i liked it was the movie is told from the perspective of the two kids and i appreciated that but i wish that the story of the sheriff and the story of another character were fleshed out a little bit more um the way that it was is that we see it from the kids perspective so we don't see like the context for um, some, some conflicts that happen throughout the movie. Um, and that can't, kind of gives an air of mystery around it, but it just wasn't enough for me to really carry through. I kind of wish I would have had a little bit more, um, in the character department for 
Kevin Bacon and a couple other choice characters. Okay. Uh, but it was, it was still worth seeing. It's, it was a fun, not fun, but it was a suspenseful movie. Sometimes fun. Um, but that's Cop Car and I rented it on Google Play. Okay. And then my last Google Play movie is a movie that, uh, our frequent guest Fekus actually brought up in, uh, our bonus episode at the end of the end of the year. I can't remember what episode number that is, but, um, it was one where we talked about movie trailers. Anyway, it's uh, called Maggie. It's uh, so, uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, as a farmer in a world where um, the zombie apocalypse has happened, but the the uh, the act of of uh, transforming into a zombie after you've been bitten is a very slow moving process. So it takes like weeks to do it. Um, mm. And so what we get here is a zombie zombie infection movie. That is a character study and a um, a movie about a f- uh, family, a uh, somewhat broken family, and what um, Arnold does to in deciding in deciding what to do with his daughter who is slowly dying. And it's it's a very it's a, it's a it's an emotionally resonant movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's emotionally gripping and and it's it's handled effectively. Um, it's a little long. It feels a little long and, and, uh, drawn out a little bit. Um, I didn't really, I, I had kind, I had a harder time connecting to the story and the pacing than I would have expected to given the content, but, okay. um, it leads to a place that was, uh, emotionally satisfying for me, um, in, in telling its story. So I recommend it. So that's Maggie. Uh, and here Fekas talk about it a few episodes ago. In our bonus episode. Uh, so Tiny, what's your next one? Uh, my next entry is also a movie. Um, I watched this, uh, the other night. It's, uh, Aloha, which came out, uh, in 2015, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the latest movie from, uh, Cameron Crowe. And, right. uh, I, I think Cameron Crowe's, Cameron Crowe is a pretty good writer. I, I think his movies are pretty enjoyable. They're accessible and, uh, set themselves apart. I think he has a pretty recognizable style. Um, but this movie really sucked. Um, <laughs> I really didn't like it. It's, uh, it is the least accessible movie he's written in my opinion. Um, it, it was sporadically strung together and that's the best thing I can say about it. Jeez. Um, actually the best thing I can say about it is that the, the performances are pretty good. Uh, okay. Bradley Cooper, always just a fun, fun character, fun actor to watch. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I love, I love how when he just, he just seems to have chemistry with everyone that he ever works with. Um, and, and I think that's, that's apparent in every one of his movies. Um, so he was great. Um, John Krasinski was in this movie. He gave a very, <laughs> a very subdued performance, but really okay. perfect for the character. Okay. Um, for what they were trying to communicate. Um, Rachel McAdams had a lot of work to do because her character was very, very circumstantial and just like very, just, just a character that served to support another character. Oh. And it's just, she, I, I feel bad for her because she, she made a lot out of what was given to her and she wasn't given very much. Um, okay. So Rachel McAdams was very good. Nice. Um, and then Emma Stone was one of the other notable actors in it. Um, her character was just super weird. Not, she, <laughs> Not, not quirky in a fun, cute way, just weird. Um, and it, it kind of, it was, it was a little detrimental to, 
for her. I think she, again, she did a great job with what she had, but what she had was weird. Uh, it's, it's just, she's, she's played a quirky, fun, super cute character before, and she's such a likable person and such a, such a likable actress. Um, so she, she salvaged what she could from the character, but it was just, it it was too weird, too inaccessible of a character to really latch on to. Um, Bill Murray was also in it. I forgot about Bill Murray. He's barely in it. Um, but like I said, performances are all pretty good. It's just, it, it was it was just a a, col- uh, a collaboration or a compilation of scenes. It Ooh. wasn't it wasn't a flowing movie at all. Um, the premise is that there's uh, Bradley Cooper plays a contractor for a uh, uh, private defense company, mm. um, and he but he used to be in the I believe it's Air Force, uh, and he worked and lived in Hawaii where there's a large Air Force base, and he was like a really big deal. Uh, in the Air Force when he when he worked there, okay, but he ended up getting deployed and uh, was severely injured, broke tons of bones, and couldn't serve anymore. So he moved to the private sector, I guess. Um, and he comes back, and like Rachel McAdams plays his ex-wife, and John Krasinski is her new husband, and um, he's his handler is played is a um a captain played by Emma Stone, her character, okay. um, and he has to like kind of facilitate this deal with this private company and the air force um and bill murray plays the the billionaire owner of the of the private defense company so there's all this conflict in there he has this past that's all wrapped up in this this new job he's trying to do um so i think it was a pretty good premise for a movie but like i said it was just strung together with the weakest script i i really was disappointed with it I, I I couldn't follow what was going on a lot of the time. It's just I couldn't figure out the motivations for what what was happening in each individual scene. It was just Jeez. it was just really really convoluted. I was really disappointed. Um, it could have been a good movie. Um, Are you a big fan of Cameron Crowe himself? Because I'm looking at his filmography, and I mean he's I mean like I I love Almost Famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not too crazy about Say Anything. Um, haven't seen Jerry Maguire in a long time. Yeah. Um, I I'm, think I'm a fan of what he. I'm a fan of what he does. Mm-hmm. I just think some of the movies that he's turned out are pretty overrated. Okay. Um, almost famous to me is a pretty overrated movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's a good movie. I understand why it got some Oscar nominations and stuff, but right. I, I think it's just a little bit overrated. Um, it's almost great, right? <laughs> I just I respect him for. I respect him for his style and how he mm. sticks to what he does, and I, I'm, I'm always curious to see what he's going to do next. Um, but uh, this time just did not work out at all in my book. So, okay, yeah. Uh, so that's Aloha. Aloha. Um. So, my my last batch of uh, topics for this extended potpourri is uh, three TV shows that I watched on Hulu. And the first one will be pretty brief, although it deserves to be talked about more. It's just I watched it months ago, and I just never brought it up on the podcast. But it's Fargo, the TV show. Uh, season I've only seen season one. I I'm gonna buy uh, season two on Google Play and watch that. Watch it that way. Um, Fargo season one. Longtime listeners will remember that Chick McGee, when he was on the podcast from the Bob and Tom show, when he was on our indie popcorn episode, the first one. Um, 
he he raved about Fargo, and everything he said was true. Like <laughs> Fargo deserves all the acclaim that it's gotten. It's it's freaking amazing. Nice. Yeah, like it's uh, it's so steeped in the kind of uh, Coen Brothers Fargo esque. Minnesota nice kind of person personality, mm-hmm. but it strikes its own thing. I don't think that I brought it up on the podcast now that I think about it, but um, I think I may have been in a, in a stinger for uh, the Steve Jobs episode, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but it's, it's amazing. It's basically kind of the first season kind of recounts somewhat similarly, like bits and pieces of the Fargo storyline, but it tells it in a different way. It, while simultaneously existing in that universe in a somewhat modern setting, it takes place in 2006. Uh, a whole new cast of characters. Um, uh, uh, Martin Freeman is freaking amazing. Um, nice. Yeah, uh, there's him, and then Billy Bob Thornton plays kind of a, <laughs> and this is kind of the beauty of it because it's kind of, it's almost he to me was similar to like Anton Chigurh in uh, No Country for Old Men. Wow. So it's kind of like they were kind of melding some Coen Brothers stuff uh, in this. But it, it's like there's the the story that kind of goes through is just it's so violent and gripping and horrifying and and uh, incredible that I was I was hooked throughout the entire entire run. Nice. Um, and it made me really excited to see season two, which um, I believe takes place uh, in a different time. Uh, I want to say 60s or 70s, but it tells the tells the story tells the story of a character who is in Fargo season one as a central character's father, who like at one point tells it like says an anecdote about something that happened to him in the past. And I guess I assume that season two tells the rest of that story. Um, and it's just it's really it's really unlike anything i've i've seen on on tv recently it it kind of echoes a, a kind of feel of like like breaking bad almost i i don't know if it's as great as Bre- breaking bad but it's definitely yeah. it's worth seeing entirely well breaking bad was a little cohenish exactly and yeah and yeah, and, so, yeah. yeah it, oh yeah Ex- exactly um so yeah and and that's kind of kind of be a running theme with uh with my other two picks for hulu uh, for this segment of my potpourri. Uh, the first up is review. I, I talked about season one in an earlier episode at some time ago. Um, but I watched season two and holy crap, everyone, please, please watch the show. <laughs> it's freaking amazing for, um, if you're unfamiliar review is, uh, it stars, uh, Andy Daly as the host of a fake TV show, like in a fiction, it's a fiction show. Uh, but he's, a, t- a TV show host of a show in which he reviews life events instead of like movies or TV. He just reviews life. So his quote unquote viewers will, um, request that he review certain things and he takes it. The, the kind of shtick of the entire season, the gag of the season is that, or the show is that he does it like he, like he follows it through entirely. So like if something comes up, um, it, it affects his entire life. Like there's, <laughs> there's a wonderfully morbid episode where, uh, he's, he reviews using a glory hole. Um, <laughs> and it's so, it's so hilarious because he's, he's so dimwitted and he's so 
not like it's not even that he's dimwitted. He's not like he's not like an idiot or anything, but he's the performance of Andy Daly is is incredible because he's playing like he's playing someone who's not quite getting everything, but he's not he's still like cognizant enough to know how to handle certain things. Okay. So it's 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 so weird and he plays it in such a he performs the role in such an earnest and dry manner that it's it's some of the funniest thing the, the funniest stuff that I've seen in on, on TV in in a long time. Wow. Um yeah, it's it's absolutely hilarious and it's fairly serialized so as as the season progresses all of these different um, reviews that he does impact his life in very uh, varying ways of horror, um, and all leads to a very a, a very satisfying conclusion. It's it's incredible. Um, I I highly recommend it. Please watch review. It's on Hulu right now. The first two seasons, um, and I hope it's been re- renewed for season three. I'm not sure, but um. So and then my last one is another. Comedy Central show. It's Nathan for you. Tiny, are you familiar with this at all? Uh, barely. Okay, so <laughs> I binge watched three seasons of Nathan for you. Um, just when I thought a TV show couldn't be any funnier than Review or Wet Hot American Summer First Day of Camp or <laughs> It's Always Sunny or anything else, I see Nathan for you and I am freaking blown away. Wow. It is incredible like please please watch nathan for you it is some of the most genius comedy i've seen maybe ever wow yeah it's nathan for you is nathan fielder is this is all the this is a this is real i don't know how real it is or how scripted it is or anything but basically basically nathan fielder goes to (laughs) goes to small businesses that are struggling and he pitches horrific ideas on how they can increase their their sales and, and increase their customers, all that stuff, increase their performance. So there are some incredible, incredible moments where he, like Nathan Fielder, has this has this way that he's like he's so deadpan and he's taken like he takes things so seriously <laughs> that it's he t- he gets people to buy in to the most just whacked out crazy ideas. And he, while also, while he's also kind of holding a mirror to people and saying like, this is how people are acting. Like he doesn't say this outright. It's just like, this is what the, the show is projecting is that people will do just in crazy, like in insane things. If you tell them that you have really good grades from a Canadian business school <laughs> and can help their failing business. Um, and it's just, it's the stuff that he gets people to go along with is out of this world like insane like there are several several examples that i can give and it's going to sound so weird and some of them are not going to be uh reflective of the overall quality of the show but um in terms of subversiveness there's an episode where he it's it's not a traditional episode like he normally does it's basically the entire episode is him uh building up to this um, escape act that it's like presented as if it's going to be a hugely televised event. And, uh, but the thing is, it's basically he's going to be handcuffed and he has 90 seconds to break free of the handcuffs or else, and this is where it gets really pretty screwed up. Um, 
or else a robotic claw is going to undo his pants and expose him to children in the audience, <laughs> thereby costing him his freedom and making him a register, like forcing him to become a registered sex offender. Oh my God. Yeah. And the genius of this is that the entire episode is him getting all the people together to go along with this stunt. Like he gets oh. a police officer to be on hand. He gets a, he gets a judge to, um, to like expedite the paperwork in case it fails. Huh. And like he does all of this stuff just to get people, like people to go along with it. And people, people do. It's, wow. And like in perhaps one of my favorite moments of all three seasons of this damn series is that he goes up to the tent that has the, has the parents of the children that are going to be potentially exposed to a nude uh adult male <laughs> in person and he says to the he pops into the tent and he says uh hey guys i just want to let you know everything's going well uh we're we're getting all set up now uh just so you know for the show we're going to be blurring out your faces in case uh in case people think that it's it's weird that you're allowing us to have your children in this situation <laughs> And then the camera cuts to cuts to the parents, and they're barely pixelated. <laughs> it's it's oh my! It's it's pure genius. It's so funny. It's it's amazing. And there are so many other episodes. There's um if you can only watch a few if you can if you okay I I watch all of them. Just watch all of them. Uh, there's one where he where he uh, helps a struggling um uh, a small very hole in the wall um. Uh, Burger Shack, um, <laughs> and the Burger Shack, and it's in LA, and, and like it's advertised as the best burger in LA. So he, <laughs> so he pitches that, um, the guy, uh, <laughs> pr- do a promotion where if you don't think it's the best burger in LA, the owner of the restaurant will give you a hundred dollars out of his pocket. Oh my God. And the whole thing is that he's like, he's being totally deadpan and totally serious. And he's telling him like, well, it is the best burger in LA, right? <laughs> and so the guy knowing that he's on camera is like, well, of course it is. But, <laughs> but you can see he's like, not like he's like, he's, he knows that it's not like it's, oh it's not. God. And it, it looks like just a regular burger. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And it escalates from like they, like they take him, <laughs> Nathan, t- Nathan gets him on a radio show in LA. <laughs> And talks to talks to the DJs about it and everything, and then like like this is when he gets them going along with the going along with the plan and everything. And so uh, he's explaining to him, and the guy's still kind of shaky and stuff. He's like, "Yeah." And then like he gets callers, they get callers calling in saying like, "Well, what if people lie and they because they just want a hundred bucks?" And then Nathan just kind of casts them aside and all that. But um, <laughs> the genius of it is that like. A, uh, Nathan asks how many people are listening right now. And then, uh, the DJ's like, about three billion people. <laughs> and, and then, uh, and then also my final thought on this, on this part is that, uh, the DJs ask, ask Nathan, they're like, so, so yeah, this is great that you really believe in, in the product and everything. And Nathan's like, I'm just taking his word for it. I haven't tried it. Or <laughs> and it's just, it's, uh, it's some of the funniest, most like just insane the amount of, of, stuff that they that uh, that they do in three seasons of the show like like in this show it's amazing how it can remain consistently genius uh throughout three seasons without people like getting um get, like getting like onto it or anything like that mm-hmm. um and it's it's amazing it's going to be back for season four i believe um and i will say that the 
season three finale. I won't give away anything that happened in it, but it is like as a standalone episode, it's freaking like it's it's mind blowing how incredible it is from a wow. performance art standpoint kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like just <laughs> it's it, it's it's unbelievable. Like I like. Nathan Fielder is going to be a name <laughs> like that's going to go down in comedy history. Yeah. Um, in the future, it's it's insane, and it's it's Nathan for you. Uh, all three seasons are streaming on Hulu, and I'm sure you can find it on Comedy Central and all that stuff. Uh, so yeah. Nice. <sighs> Please watch those shows, everyone. <laughs> They're amazing. Nice. Uh, so Tiny, why don't you round us out? Yeah, to round us out, I really don't have a lot to say about this, but mm-hmm. I wanted to bring it up because it's something that you've been into lately. I might squee. <laughs> um, I started watching Star Trek, the original series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with good old James Tiberius Kirk. Right. Played by, uh, William Shatner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it is very, very good. I'm enjoying it a lot. I, I, I'm kind of surprised. I, I mm-hmm. didn't know, I didn't think I'd like it that much. I thought it was going to be, like inaccessibly cheesy, like, like think of like fifties sci-fi B movies is what I. That's kind of what I had in my mind. Right. And there's that. There, there's that. That's in there definitely. But the show just has so much heart. There's, there's so much, like philosophy around it that uh, Matt's mentioned that before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really its own genre. The whole, you know, adventure-based philosophical kind of sci-fi. Where you really are exploring what's what's essentially a human experiment, mm. as opposed to you know, as as opposed to finding really crazy things. It's more about how, as human beings, we react to what's in front of us and how how we address problems, how we problem solve, and 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 how you take take someone who's kind of like a kind of like a military or like an explorer kind of person. And you put them in these situations where they have to make moral decisions and, and they have to try to decide whether or not they'll make this decision which will kill a hundred people or this decision which will kill five people. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you, you have to choose the lesser two evils and it's like, you just, you just explore the human psyche and, and, and the, it, the show really explores the human psyche and, and, and how we, how we socialize and, and what we choose to do with our our intelligence and, and and how we choose to explore things it's just it's it's a very it's a very deep show in that respect and i i'm just surprised by it i i really i really i never took the time to really find out what the heart of the show was mm-hmm. and uh, i'm i'm glad i'm watching it i'm i'm only about i've only seen about 7 or 8 episodes uh, maybe nine, something like that. Do you remember what the last episode you saw was just offhand? Was I, it anything with mind control on a ship, a penal colony? Um, <clears throat> maybe. I can't. The, one of my minor complaints is that it seems like all of the seven or eight episodes I've seen, five or six of them are about a person being taken over by something. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's a little, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a little repetitive in that mm-hmm. respect. But it always has a different spin on it. So, I mean, I give it credit for that. But at the same time, I kind of wanted to branch out a little more. Um, did you watch The Cage? Like the original pilot that? Yes, I did. Okay. Um, and it was great. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was a lot more serious. 
yeah, yeah. Uh, than than the show became, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's funny because you're about to. I'm looking at the episode list now. Uh, here in a few episodes, you're going to get a two part episode that is basically, um, uh, I'm I'm gonna butcher this, but um, they basically took the cage. And, uh, they recut it into this two part episode about Spock and the Enterprise. Um, mm. it's kind of interesting, but, um, the reason I asked if it had mind control or whatever is that, or did you, did you see an episode with, uh, small children? No. Okay. So you might be two episodes away from this. But anyway, what I'm saying is episode 10 is my favorite episode of season one. Nice. Uh, it's, it's, let me know what you, what you think of it. It's, uh, okay. it's called the, uh, Corbomite Maneuver. Okay. It's, it's, it is freaking amazing. Nice. Um, and what do you think of, uh, what do you think of the characters? The, you know, I, I can see how they were ahead of their time. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it was a pretty revolutionary show. I, I know that. Um, I, I think they're all great. It's, it's, they, they've developed a lot of them relatively well. I mean, I'm, I'm only, you know, seven, eight episodes into it. So, but you know, they've obviously spent a lot of time on Kirk and, it's interesting seeing the interaction between Kirk and Spock and how mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're getting into this whole explore, exploration of how Spock functions as a mm-hmm. being. Cause he's so, he's so robotic and, and detached right. from things. And, and Kirk is the opposite. You know, it's, it's just a very, it's, it's that juxtaposition is really well done and it's, it's definitely intriguing. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you get in, when you get deeper into it, they kind of, uh, the kind of triumvirate of of Spock and uh, Spock and uh, uh, Kirk and Bones, mm-hmm. like those three together, are like uh, the the chemistry between them and the storytelling that their that their dynamic yields is some of the best I've ever seen. Nice, it's it's amazing. Nice, um, I'm loving it. I'm really loving it. It's 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 fantastic television. Nice, yeah. nice. Awesome. I'm so glad. So I've got you. Now I just need Mike to <laughs> pull the trigger and watch Star Trek. Um, yeah. So I think that should, should that wrap it up? I think it should. Okay. Great. Um, coming up on the podcast, we're going to hopefully, hopefully next week, Tiny, we're going to review the Revenant. Hopefully. Yeah. I'm, I'm really hopeful for that. Um, also, uh, if all goes as planned, this week, uh, the week that this episode is released, uh, the week of it, I will have an appearance on Film Schwab's, uh, podcast. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, talking about the Oscar nominations and, and things of that nature. Cool. Uh, so look out for that. Um, and then, yeah, and I'm, I'm really hoping that I can get Mike on for a bonus episode about Star Trek because we haven't recorded his thoughts on it. Um, Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping to do that. And, uh, and also we got a really great email from our listener, one of, one of our listeners, Andy, about Star Wars. And if I do that bonus episode, uh, we'll address that because, uh, it'll be about Star Wars. So Sweet. hopefully that happens. And thank you for emailing Andy. Um, and also everyone else listening, you're encouraged to email as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And also, like I said, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, that does a great, uh, service to us as as podcasters and uh, other than that you know thanks for listening and uh, we will see you guys next week or you'll hear us next week or whatever thanks guys thanks guys <laughs>
<laughs> did you go to uh, Pizza? No. Did you go to Peter Berg's uh, IMDb? Yeah. <laughs> all, all that I read of it was Pizza? No. Pizza? I hope she doesn't jump up there. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at Matt, Tiny, or Mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, obsessivebooknerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.